Well, greetings, church family, and all of our friends who are listening in online this weekend. Uh, I am excited that you're joining us for our weekly podcast. I have a new preaching theme for this year. In fact, each year, I, I do have an underlying theme for all of my messages. This year's theme is only Jesus. Leading up to Easter, we're going to focus in on the life and ministry of Jesus. And then from Easter throughout the rest of the year, we're going to talk more about the life ministry, and mission of the local church. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about what it means to live for Jesus, what God's design for marriage and parenting is. We're going to talk about the mission that God has given us to make more and better disciples. We're going to grow closer as a church family this year. I believe that with all my heart because we're going to look for new opportunities to reach our community with the gospel, and we're going to do that together. You know, I'm praying that more people would come to know Jesus in 2021 than we've ever seen before, and that our church family would grow deeper in faith and deeper in our walk with Christ. Growing in Christ starts with knowing who Jesus is, um, what he did during his earthly ministry, the truths that he taught, and how we can share the message of Jesus with our world today. Today we're going to begin a three-week message series that fits within this theme of only Jesus. I'm calling this series Greater Than. There's a verse in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, it's verse 11, and uh, this verse really stood out to me last year. Matthew is actually recording the words of John the Baptist. This is what we read. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. So again, this is a verse that really stood out to me last year. I think this is an awesome reminder that Jesus is greater than anyone or anything we can imagine. Over the next three weeks, I want to look at the life of Jesus following his birth and just before he began his earthly ministry. Now, there's three passages that I believe really highlight this truth of Jesus being greater than. The first message is going to focus in on Jesus' preteen years. Now, I think it's easy for all of us to forget the unique circumstance that Jesus was born into, and that he was once a preteen, he was once a teenager, and even a young adult. You know, we've all been there. Uh, Some of us are there right now. And our young people here in the church, they're going to be there someday very soon. Well, throughout today's message, I want to remind our church family that nobody is too young to be used by God. Nobody. I also want to encourage our parents and our grandparents with this truth, that we can be used by God to help our kids focus on the right things that will help them grow in the right way. Jesus is the Son of God, but he also experienced life as an ordinary preteen. I think we forget that sometimes. You know, it's easy for us to believe the truth that Jesus is and was fully God, but the Bible also teaches that he was fully man. I think it's hard for our brains to to comprehend that truth. And to be honest with you, I don't know that this is something that we're fully going to understand in this life. We have to accept this and believe it in faith that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Even though God's word doesn't talk specifically about his teenage and young adult years, it does give us clues for how Jesus lived during those years in preparation for the rest of his life. Our passage for today 
paints a clear picture of what Jesus was like as a young person, but also how he used that time to help prepare for the mission that God the Father had for him. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to camp out in verses 39 through 52 for the majority of our time together today. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. This is what we read. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. There's, there's actually so much here that I want to unpack. There's some great application for our own lives. Um, before we look closer at this text, I want to give you a little bit of context that surrounds the words that we just read. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In fact, we just celebrated his birth with family and friends uh, just a few weeks ago. Well, eight days after his birth, his parents, Joseph and Mary, took him to Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord. Now, this was known as a purification offering. It was actually required by law because Jesus was their firstborn child and he was a boy. So Joseph and Mary, they were essentially dedicating Jesus to the Lord. There was a godly man who lived in Jerusalem at that time. His name was Simeon. Uh, Simeon had been waiting a really long time for the Messiah to be born. In fact, the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah with his own eyes. When Joseph and Mary came to present baby Jesus, uh, Simeon met them. He actually had the opportunity to hold Jesus in his arms. And as he held him, he sang a song of praise, a song of worship to God. Now, I want to remind you, a little over a year ago, I preached an entire series called The Songs of Christmas. And for an entire Sunday, the message was focused on Simeon's song. I preached a whole message on this. So you can go back through uh, the podcast and you can find that if you want to listen to his song. It's an amazing song. There was also a prophet named Anna who lived at the temple. Um, At least we get that idea from the text that we read. Um, She was a widow, and she spent most of her time worshiping God, praying, and fasting. The Bible tells us that she just happened to walk by Simeon 
um, just as he was having this interaction and conversation with Jesus' parents. And after seeing this and, and hearing what she heard, um, it stirred her to start to tell everyone in the temple about Jesus. Now, when Joseph and Mary had fulfilled all the requirements of the law, the Bible says they returned home to Nazareth. We know Jesus grew up in Nazareth. That's where he spent his early years, and that's where today's passage picks up. This is 12 years later, 12 years after his parents had presented him in the temple. Our text for today begins with these words that um, he, Jesus, grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. This verse, these words, frame the entire story that we just read. In fact, later on in the message, you'll see why this verse is so important and how it's even applicable for our own lives today. So every year, Joseph and Mary would travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Uh, The distance between Nazareth and Jerusalem, depending on which uh, route you take, is about 65 to 70 miles. Can you imagine having to travel that by foot or on donkey every single year? Now, if you're here in person or if you watch um, the live service this weekend, I'm going to throw a picture up on the screen so you can see where Nazareth and Jerusalem are located on a modern map. Um, Just to put things into perspective for you, it's kind of like walking or riding a donkey from La Crescent, Minnesota, all the way to Rochester. Um, I did a little Google Maps this weekend, and uh, or this week, and I found that the distance between La Crescent and Rochester is about 68 miles. So it fits right in uh, for the distance between Nazareth and Jerusalem. It's a long ways. Now, they would have made this trip at least once a year. Um, to attend the Passover festival. Um, This festival took place in the spring, so the weather would have been a little bit nicer. And this festival really commemorated the night that God's people escaped slavery in Egypt, um, back in the book of Exodus. And this is when the final plague killed all the Egyptian firstborn children, but passed over the Israelite homes. Um, This was the most important Jewish festival of the year. Um, So if you lived in that time, and you were part of God's people, Um, if you were going to attend just one festival, this is the one that you were going to attend. Now, again, there were many festivals to choose from. In fact, many of the men um, would be required or asked uh, to attend at least three of these festivals. And depending on your wealth, uh, how much money you had, that would really determine whether you were able to make this trip as often as you were asked to. Now, when Jesus was 12 years old, uh, they made this trip like they had done every year before. Um, People would have traveled to the festival in caravans, all right? So large groups of people, even whole villages sometimes. Uh, The women and the children, they would lead the way so that they could set the pace. And then the men and the young men, they would follow behind. Uh, So again, relatives and even whole villages would often travel together to help keep an eye out for all the kids. At the age of 12, Jesus could have easily gone from one group to another and not been missed. For example, Joseph would think that he was with Mary and some of the other kids, and Mary would think he was with Joseph or some of the young men, and both of them, it wouldn't have been uncommon to think that he was with another family friend or relative. Well, after the festival was over, the Bible says they began their journey home, but Jesus was not with the group. Not only was he not with the group, but his family had also traveled for an entire day 
without noticing that he was gone. See, Jesus had stayed behind in Jerusalem while the rest of the group started their trip home. Joseph and Mary didn't miss him at first because they thought he was mixed in somewhere in the group. But when evening came, you know, I think that's naturally the time we want to know where our kids are. It's kind of a really important part of the day. We put our kids to bed. We want to know that they're safe. When evening came, they couldn't find him. They started looking for him a lot harder. In fact, the Bible says they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, I kind of imagine this verse and this scene kind of like the scene in Home Alone um, when Kevin McAllister's mom, Kate, realizes that Kevin is not with the group. So Kate and her husband, they're on the plane and they keep going back and forth and they're like, you know, I just have that feeling that we forgot something. And the husband's like, no, I think we got everything. You know, the garage door is shut. All the lights are turned off. And they go back and forth. And then she pauses. And I think it's an iconic scene. She goes, Kevin! (laughs) You know, she kind of screams out. And you realize that they know they forgot Kevin. Jesus went missing. And I have to believe that everybody stopped what they were doing to help find him. This was a search party. Parents, I think we've all been there in some form or fashion. You know, most of us haven't lost a kid for a long period of time, like a day, two days, or three days. But, you know, we've all looked down while we're walking in the mall or walking at Target or Walmart. And you realize that for a split second, you know, one of your kids isn't in sight. And in that moment, uh, you panic. You know, you do whatever you can do to rally as many people as you can to help find your kid. Well, Joseph and Mary, they, they were panicking. That's what the Bible says. After looking for Jesus among their family and friends with no results, they decided to go all the way back to Jerusalem to look for Jesus there. So after one day of traveling from Jerusalem, one day traveling back, and one day searching in Jerusalem, they finally found Jesus. He was at the temple. He was sitting with the religious teachers. He was listening to everything they were saying and even asking questions. This kind of reminds me of Uh, One of the kids in our church, um, since this is online, I won't tell you his name, but I I think this is a a good thing. A couple months ago, one of the young kids in our church, he walked up to me, and uh, he had an important question for his mom and dad, and um, they said that he was welcome to come and ask me. So on a Wednesday night, he walked up to me, and he said, Craig, how do I know if I'm worshiping the one true God? Now, keep in mind, this, this kid is, you know, six, seven years old. This is this is a pretty big question. I was kind of thrown off guard. I think we might have my replacement here, maybe a future preacher in the church. Well, at the temple, a religious teacher would respond to a student's question with a series of counter questions. I think this is a great way to teach. And that's why Jesus was giving these answers, these answers that amazed all the people who were listening in. You see, the teachers were asking counter questions. Even at the age of 12, Jesus was a student of God's word. He loved the word of God, which at that time um, would have included the Old Testament. As you can imagine, his parents didn't know what to think. We actually get their response in Luke chapter 2, verse 48. It says, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Now, the Greek word for frantic is best translated as greatly distressed or sorrowing. Um, Joseph and Mary, they were 
panicking. They were, they were greatly distressed, just like any parent would be who'd lost their child. Well, Jesus actually responds to their question, and his response is an interesting one. The very next verse, verse 49, he said, But why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, it's important to note that this is the very first time in Scripture that Jesus mentioned his understanding that he was God's son. This is the very first time. And we see throughout this passage, um, Jesus was always obedient to his earthly parents. Right? He sets that example. Jesus was perfect. But his greatest loyalty was to his heavenly father. Joseph and Mary, they didn't understand what he meant when he said, I must be in my father's house. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and we see this early on in the Gospels, you know, Matthew and Luke specifically, but they didn't know that he was making a distinction between his earthly father and his heavenly father. Jesus knew that he had a unique relationship with God, and although Joseph and Mary knew that he was God's son, they didn't fully know what his life would involve. Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that. It's what the Bible teaches. But he was also fully man. He was Joseph and Mary's son, and they raised him right alongside their other children as a normal kid. Mary heard the words of Simeon. You know, you think back 12 years prior to this story. I think she would have remembered these words when Simeon said, Jesus had been sent as a sign from God, but many people will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then his last words to Mary, I've always thought this was interesting. The very last words he said was, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Mary heard these words, but she didn't fully understand what Jesus' life would involve. She didn't yet understand that his life would lead to the cross. After this memorable and emotional event, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they made the 65-mile trip back home to Nazareth. And this story concludes with these words, Luke 2, verses 50 and 51. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Even as a preteen, Jesus was perfect always obeying his earthly parents, but paying even closer attention to obeying his heavenly father. For the last part of my message today, I want to encourage all of our young people to look to Jesus's life as an example of what it looks like to grow in the right way. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. I also want to encourage our parents and our grandparents to take seriously the call to parent and invest in our children by providing opportunities for the right kind of growth. You know, sometimes people view youth as something negative. In fact, I've heard kind of backhanded comments like that in the hallways of our church over the past couple years. I think there's a belief in our culture that a 10-year-old A 12-year-old or even an 18-year-old can't accomplish anything meaningful or lead a life of significance until they're older. But as we see in this story and throughout the rest of God's Word, that belief couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible really teaches clearly that regardless of your age or stage, God can get a hold of your life 
and use you in a kingdom way. If you're looking at the notes that we have online or if you're just taking notes today, I'm going to have two points, two truths that I want to share at the end of the message. These are going to go pretty quickly. The first one is this, that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor. Um, Remember verse 40. That's the one I said you'll need to remember for later. Uh, Verse 40 and verse 52 both talk about Jesus growing in wisdom. But what does this mean? Why is it important? And how does someone grow in wisdom? The Bible teaches us that there are essentially two kinds of wisdom. There's the world's wisdom, worldly wisdom, and then there's God's wisdom, godly wisdom. The world's wisdom, which isn't wisdom at all, is selfish. It places importance on materialistic knowledge and celebrates a person's status in society, you know, how much wealth they have, their education, how they live out mainstream beliefs. Godly wisdom only comes from God and is found when we know and fear the Lord and when we live by the counsel of his word. God's wisdom is available to all people. But sadly, many people think they already know it all. They they don't need God. Well, if this is your thinking, the Bible calls you a fool. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of true knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. These verses um, are part of the opening words to the book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom. And as you read through Proverbs, you learn that knowledge really is, is knowing the right answer. But wisdom is applying what you know. It's living it out in everyday life. It's been said that millions of people are going to miss heaven by a distance of about 18 inches. A lot of people know about God and even know what the Bible has to say, but they don't truly know God and live by the counsel of his word. So in case you're wondering, 18 inches is roughly the distance between your head and your heart. Millions of people have head knowledge. Again, they know about God. They know about the Bible, but they haven't experienced a true heart transformation. They don't truly know the Lord. If I could encourage our young people with one thing today, it would be this. Seek after God and his wisdom, not the world's. If I could encourage our our parents and our grandparents with one thing today, it would be this. Be intentional about getting rid of anything in your life or in your homes that don't point our young people to Jesus. You know, getting rid of stuff that promotes the world's wisdom. Jesus' example reminds us that we should always be growing in godly wisdom at every age and every stage, but especially when we're young. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus also grew in stature. Uh, Growing in stature is another way of saying that he grew physically. I think we all know, we don't always apply this, but we all know that um, growing physically in the best way is accompanied by physical health. Now, I personally struggle with this. I struggle with exercise and, and what I eat, but I know that God's working in my life. I know that he's not done with me. Um, Here's a few verses that speak to this truth. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 19 and 20, speaks to this idea of growing in stature, growing physically. It says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now we know uh, for this verse and the next that the Apostle Paul is talking to Christians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
And then Paul writes to the young pastor, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, it says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So spiritual training, spiritual health was always the priority in Jesus' life, and it should be the priority in our lives as well. All right? Training for godliness is so much more important than physical training. But we should also remember that our lives were bought with a price. Our lives are not our own. As Christians, we're called to honor God with our bodies, glorifying him in whatever we do. That's what we eat, how we exercise, what we think, what we say. We're called to honor God with our lives. Young people, it's important to be active right now, you know, especially during a pandemic. Find ways to be active. Find ways to connect with others. Um, parents, it's important to provide opportunities for our kids to be active. You know, I think there's so many days that uh, families are stuck indoors uh, for hours on end, maybe days on end. It is important to get outside and find a way to use the body that God gave you. So growing in stature, growing physically was important to Jesus. It should be important to us as well. Jesus grew in stature. Finally, Jesus grew in favor with God and with all the people. Uh, favor in the Greek, you'll remember this from our Christmas series, uh, favor means God's pleasure or God's good will. Um, the Bible says you have God's favor when you know the Lord, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you have a sincere faith in Jesus. Um, God's favor is available to all people. In fact, God wants us to experience his favor, but he also wants us to learn from Jesus' example, growing in favor with other people as well. So for our young people, how are you using this time to serve others, to pray for others, and to build godly relationships? You know, the most important things in life ultimately come back to relationship. You could say Christianity is all about relationship. It's about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. If you're going to grow in the right kind of way, you have to be intentional about who you're surrounding yourself with. In fact, if you want to know what your future looks like, I would say look at the people you're spending your time with. So parents, do you know the people your kids are spending their time with? Are they surrounded by people who are building them up, people who are going to encourage them in their faith, or people who are going to tear them down? As parents, as grandparents, we can model this. We should model this in the right way for our kids. We should demonstrate what it looks like to build healthy, godly relationships with other people. You know, in the end, it really doesn't matter what you say to your kids. It matters how you live. And that should be accompanied by what you say. They're going to watch how you live your life. So Jesus grew in favor with God and with all the people. We should too. Well, the very last part of the message is this last point. And that is this, a person's preteen and teenage years are meant to be spiritual preparation for the rest of their life. You know, the friends they make, how they work, the kind of time they spend with their family, especially right now, is going to help shape the rest of their life. And whether you're a preteen, a teenager, a young adult, or even an adult, we can all learn from Jesus's example in Luke 2. Jesus was spiritually preparing for adulthood. He was growing in the right way. Friends, today we can be reminded to focus on the right things, to grow in the right way. God wants us to grow in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. Now, all of this requires knowing the Lord. It requires godly wisdom. And if you need God's wisdom today, the Bible says all you have to do is ask. 
I want to conclude my message with two verses from James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. May this be an encouragement to you today. That if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind.